Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back to another episode of Smarter Every Season. This is the podcast for Precision Planning hosted by the Product Support Department. My name is Paul Harms, and I'm in the studio with Nolan Kitterman. How you doing? Good. We also have Tyler Hubert. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. And Hans Stutzman. Good morning. We are glad to be back. We had a, uh, a little bit of a run there where us all being in the Product Support Department, we did not have enough shows scheduled and queued up to launch during our busiest season when we we chose to prioritize on inbound support and helping our customers and dealers so uh, unfortunately there was a little bit of a gap here a little longer than we kind what of we hoped and we hoped and what we expected out of it yeah, so yeah i think to be fair too i think we had some ideas but to your point, Paul, it was kind of about prioritization. I think everybody can kind of empathize with us that when planners start to roll, that is priority one. So that's where the whole focus of our team went into. And that resulted in, I think our last podcast was sometime in April, but I think collectively we're all ready to, to uh, jump back in the chute back on the horse, whatever you want to dive in with both feet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's exactly. Good. So on that note, what was, what was the spring experience like for you guys? I'll start with you, Hans. What were some of your observations from the spring or kind of what we, what we felt and saw in support? I mean, it was, it was a good spring from my overall estimation. It would get, came, it came, it started a little bit early and then got really busy in the middle part of April when we had good weather to get stuff in the ground. So I would say it came fast. It came early and got stuff got in decent time. Um, obviously there's pockets across the country. They have some, different stories than what the the wide wide parts of the Midwest did. But overall, I think it was a great spring. It just was a busy spring. Yeah, it's always a mixed answer for if you talk to anybody in support because there's you know Hans and his dad and himself and farming on their farm and how did the spring go for them versus us in support. And we look at, okay, when did our highest volume of calls come in? When did we see the bulk of the the, the Midwest and the nation go to the field? And we usually, in our department, feel a higher rush on the front end of the season than on the back end of the season. So we'll kind of see when different areas are starting up, when the fields are drying up and people are getting out and to start that planting process just by when area codes start lighting up. So. It's interesting to tell by the area code. It's amazing what you can tell just by watching area codes of phone numbers. Yeah. File it under the useless information it department. Is. Yes. But, like, that's one thing that... Uh, has kind of come as a byproduct of being in product support is like now if I'm with my wife or something like that and I get a call from a, like a telemarketer, it's like, oh, 507. I don't know anybody calling me from Minnesota. <laughs> like, and that's useless information that I don't really need to know. But yeah, that's something that you pick up on here. So when you ask that question of like, well, how did spring go? That's obviously a very general question, right? So like what makes for a good spring is going to depend on the person that you're asking. But generally speaking, growing up with a farmer, the things that made for a good spring were like weather, you were able to get in when you wanted and conditions were fit or right. And then I would also say like, if you will, cooperation of the equipment, no major breakdowns. So what were some of the, I think for us here, what felt a little different from the last couple of years was in 19 and in 20, it felt like we were very wet. And especially, I think a lot of people, 2019 stands out as a time where a lot of guys didn't get into the field until like the end of May or beginning of June. Yeah, that planting season seemed to go on forever. Yes, yeah. 
Uh, and I think 2020 started a little bit that way. And then it seemed like, again, a lot of areas cut loose maybe toward like the end of, of April, as I kind of remember it. What do you guys, what stands out for you guys as far as weather from this year? Now, the two parts that really stood out for me were, one, the delay in the areas you know, on the southern half of the country, they did not get going and progress through their planting season as early and as far along as we would normally see, which meant that the south, the southern half of the U.S., really started kicking on and launching at about the time the Midwest was going. And we also had much drier conditions in the the northern and the western portions of the Midwest, as well as the upper northwest, uh, the, the Dakotas and Montana and uh, western Minnesota, all those areas were much drier than or than usual, earlier than usual, so they moved forward. So we had a much larger portion of the U.S. all kick off at once. That was that was probably my first thing. And then the second one is that, that what enabled the, the more northern regions to start a little earlier is that dry. And we they saw were dry them. early. I mean, they were dry. And they're, they're still dry, but they were dry early, early. And I've, and we've noticed that that dry conditions, very widespread, prevalent in areas that we don't normally see that. That was probably the other part that more guys dealing with more arid conditions than usual. And yeah. when you, I think when you piggyback that, and then we were talking about planter performance and just differences in how years of weather conditions are, are changing, you get used to, especially if you have two years back-to-back of wet and you kind of get used to how you manage a planner and wet conditions. And this year was a complete opposite for some of those guys to try and manage a planner, manage tillage, manage everything when it's really dry to start out with. So the weather conditions makes a big management decision challenge, especially if it's completely opposite of what you've been dealing with the past couple of years. Yeah, it is. We saw a lot of planners roll to the field probably like that first week after Easter because on top of being dry, we had a little bit of a stretch, at least here in the Midwest, and I think other areas felt it too, where we got into the 70s. And so there were a lot of guys that I, I think there was kind of a feeling, at least in the Midwest, that well, this is a little earlier than what we typically go. But, and we've had a lot of like late April starts or even into May and June the last couple of years. I feel like we need to go out and we need to try it a little bit. And if the grounds fit, let's go out. And, and we had a lot of guys that would comment, this is some of the best planting conditions I've ever had. And they're two, three weeks earlier than they've ever planted. Yeah. And to your point, Paul, like for what we see here in support, we're largely front-loaded, right? So, like, if, if we can get that first 40 acres in, then the system tends to run well for the rest of, of the year, right? Making sure all the bugs are out, that, you know, everything is set up right, and then go. Yep. And, and, so the, I, and the average user most often hasn't operated this equipment, yeah. in a large part, for 10 months. So there's some muscle memory that they just want to verify before they go going again. Yeah, so one of the things that was good for us in support was that couple warm day stretch we got some guys Easter. going we really helped us out a lot because yeah. we got guys going yeah guys they hadn't been able to do it i feel like in the past because it had been wet for so long into april that they were able to get the planter out and quote play around a little bit yeah, in the yard <laughs> yeah yeah and some of those got replanted again because we had beans that got planted early that got frostbitten off there's a lot of frostbitten beans or at least in this area around here you know now that you mention it i do remember a, an uptick this year in guys pushing beans forward. It was interesting because April we had, I would have said that the almost 50% of the guys are planting that first two weeks of April were soybeans. Yeah. Like that was the predominant crop. All yeah. of a sudden I was like, that was, this was complete opposite. Cause we had a lot of guys actually know several phone guys called in and said, yeah, we're done with beans. Now we're going to corn. And it was April 20th. 
We'll have to take that back to uh, we'll get we'll get uh, Jason Webster back on here again and tip the hat to him saying, hey, the the ask you did after <laughs> last year's PTI where you were saying, you know, corn likes it nice and warm, and if you got to push something early, go with your beans. And it sounds like some you know, and he's not the only guy in the industry pushing that or or, or recommending that, and it looks like it's starting to take some some. Action, that's good. I mean, that's a monumental shift. I think back to when I was a kid on the farm growing up, 10, 10 years old, and it was like beans were, were something you planted May 15th, and you wouldn't even dream of putting them in in April. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just an interesting, yep. just a major, major shift in, th- in thinking. Yeah, in my research. uncle was always, uh, you sh- you switch the planter over once. Yeah, yeah you don't switch them, you don't twist them twice. It's one, one time. corn, and you don't touch beans until all the corn's in. Yep. Oh. Yeah, kind of a mindset shift from soybeans being like a secondary crop. What are, what are some of the other emotions that we have around the spring? Some of the other things that we saw, um, kind of large spread in support, or even around the industry. I mean, I think you going through spring. Um, I think I'm actually thinking a little bit more towards what what does this look like going into summer as we look at how stuff got planted and the availability of of even some of the the products that we have available for insecticide use where we got a a big slug of stuff that kind of came in at once. So a lot of spraying is going to have to happen at once. A lot of side dressing is going to happen at once. Um, just the sheer amount of product that's got to be moved during that same time frame. Yeah. And I guess the other part that probably played an impact is just the economy, right? The the supply chain of things. Being able to, if, if you forgot something, had to try and pick it up at the last minute. If it was available, you paid through the nose for it and struggling to get availability. That was probably the other monkey wrench that was thrown into it is there's a lot of lot of moving pieces out there that aren't as plentiful as they were before. It's taking a lot more proactive thought to be prepared and have all your ducks in a row before you go. Yeah, it was definitely another resourceful year. So guys going back to that old thinking of, oh, well, I don't have this part. Now what I, well, all right, let me go to the shed and pull out this piece of metal. I can cut this. I can weld this. I can make this work for this planting season. Seemed to happen quite a bit of. There were a lot of MacGyver yeah, moments that occurred. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of tying that into Hans's note, we we moved a lot of acres in um, watching the USDA crop report move. Your crop progress. Those report. are some of the largest jumps we ever it had across big, the nation. Yeah. Those are some we, of the largest jumps we ever had. What, what one ten day period? We put almost 55 percent of the crop. I think in, it was something crazy like, that, like yeah. that. Yeah. So big number of the acres going in, and if and if you know, on 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 the home farm there, if the, if all the acres go in at once, now I'm much more susceptible to anything that that brings along with it, whether it be weather. You know, I could be I could be all my eggs in one basket. I could be a little more risk if we get uh, an insane hot streak during, right, during pollination. pollination. Yeah, it, it opens up a lot of risk in some aspects if you put it all in the same same days because now everything's pollinating around that time. And if that happens to be the wrong weather pattern, you you got a challenge. But most hybrids nowadays are are forgiving enough. We get some cool mornings. We almost always survive well enough there. And on an, in all honesty, the heat isn't something I can do something about. But pests, like diseases, funguses, bugs, those are things I can be paying attention to. And usually you have the one telltale field that's out early, and you can keep a track on it and see when infestation's coming in. What will probably happen this year, or the concern that I have is, now I've got so many fields all planted at the same time, I've got to be checking and identifying all of my fields because they're all going to hit at the same time. And some of those, you know, Take a, a mite infestation, and that can, you know, that can double every 
couple hours. hours. So. Oh, well, and the worst part about that is that means that then you have to, not only are you checking every field, you now have to spray every field within a small or much smaller window than if you mm-hmm. can see it coming, which, and if every, your neighbors and everybody else planted at the same time, now that one chemical that you need for that infestation is going to be a massive run on that product at that time. So it's it's going to, I, I think even supply chain's aspect of it is going yeah, to be a challenge as well. Yeah, couple that to the supply chain we issue. Use, we use supply chain where there's going to be a, you might not have a demand for it. You might not even know you need it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, everybody's going to need it at the exact same time. So I can see some, it, it, there's room for challenges in that aspect of it coming this summer. Same same IPM guidelines would make sense of make sure that you need it before you do it. Yep. Don't do any recreational. Yep. Um, and know that your neighbor's going through the same thing. And if, if you just blanket spray because of I didn't check or, or I wasn't proactive, then, you know, that could hurt others in the community. Yep. yep. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and move into putting the planner away. I think this is a good topic to bring up with this group because uh, I think, is everybody here at least 10 years with Precision? Sans myself? Yeah. Yes, we are. Okay. So I think this group has heard enough or done enough or collected enough information from, uh, you know, hands-on experience or from the dealer network about some of the best practices or things that maybe get missed or wise things to pass along for putting the planner away. So as guys kind of move into a winterization phase, what are some of the general best practices that you guys have come across that you like to pass along? One of my, something that I really recommend guys do it. And this is, this is a little hard for me to do it, but I actually like the idea of writing down some of the notes that you have from spring. Like if you notice that, Hey, row 10 C tube sensors got a problem with it, write it down because you will forget by spring that you're going to need to go back and fix that. And it won't be something you remember until you pull the, actually start planning again next spring. So just write, if you know, notice maintenance issues or harness issues or anything like that, write those things down before you put the planner away. And it's likely those items that aren't bad enough to, that would stop you today. Right. But it's things that you were keeping an eye on of, Hey, there's a, there's a bearing that's probably on its second half of life. I got some more acres on it. Knowing that going into next year, just being able to review your notes and saying, oh, yeah, that was that was on row, row two. Is, it's got that bearing. Well, you, know, you can make the call whether you have the time to, to do the preventative or just keep an eye on it and make sure you got one yep. on the shelf. Yep. But it helps refresh that memory. Uh, for me, cleaning it out. Um, so seed, fertilizer, get the seed out. Um, never fails. We, we always get a handful of images or videos where someone opens up a meter or a hopper that has been left with seed in it over the the time and somehow mice can climb up a seed tube into the meter i'm not sure how it happens but somehow something they can get in that meter somehow Uh, (laughs) they get in there yeah Yeah. and and even just from the picture i can smell that that smell that comes out of those meters um so just cleaning it out uh emptying out the the any of the products that are in it is a is a my first go-to. I really like, I mean, emptying it out along with that, the air hose is probably the best friend for the first pass of that. Get Blow as much dust off, blow as much other things off before you get the pressure washer out to start. Catch it on a nice out. windy day. See yep. if there's you can get a good wind. Try and stay upwind of the nozzle and just blow it all, let it blow it into the, into the field. So that, yes, that makes life for any of the successive steps that you've got to do much easier. And with that, then I think is take the seed disc. I mean, when you when you're emptying the meter out or emptying the the hoppers and everything, get the seed out. Take the meter, the discs out, set the discs on flat so they're not 
pushing seals back. That's not just general maintenance on that, that aspect is pulling your your meters apart and get them all cleaned up. Remove tension off of stuff if possible. Yeah. And keep Put it. Put stops in on the cylinders, yep. those kind of things. Yep. The, um, talking about cylinders, so once you, whether you just blow it off or whether you introduce water and, and wash the planter off, once you've kind of cleaned it out, going back in and re, you know doing a final lubrication on all your bearings and your, your seals and stuff like that, taking a little oil and lubing the... the the cylinder, uh, the cylinder rod, the cylinder rod, the exposed yep. cylinder rod, does wonders for longevity on those items. Yep, it might get a little bit dusty because if you're sitting in the shed that way, but you're you're keeping oil on the cylinder. It's not getting exposed to the elements that way. It's got a, a little bit of protective coating on it that mm-hmm. way. Um, but the general loop, I I personally, I don't not a mechanical engineer or any any guy signed, so engineers might disagree with me, but. I personally like greasing all my bearings after it's been, before I put it away at the end of the year, because I like to force all, if it's been pressure washed or it's been anything in dirt or anything, I'm going to push any of those, that water out of the bearing once I grease it. Yeah. Um, so it just makes sure that you don't have water sitting in your bearings all winter. Yeah. And a lot of those are, are maintenance and, and replacement items. So yeah, you can, you can cheat that if you're not going to use those bearings the next, next year, year and you're yep. just waiting to get those serviced. Yep. Um, and you're not making those permanent items, but you are extending their life. And like Tyler mentioned earlier, trying to avoid that that big mechanical breakdown or the the in season breakdown. If you can be prepared and, and organized ahead of time, that really helps. Tyler, you're one of our liquid guys, and we didn't talk too much about liquids. What do you touch base on liquid just a little bit with the guys? I, I guess for me, the one thing that I've kind of noticed over the years is you can't clean a liquid system too much. Um, I, I still have a bit of a PTSD from, uh, cleaning out one of, uh, Jason Webster's planters that eventually went out to PTI and just like cleaning gunk out of a tank that had sat around for multiple months. And like, if, if you can be proactive on those kind of things and just thoroughly get the liquid system cleaned out, the longer that stuff sits in a liquid system, it seems like the harder it bonds to lines and, and the inside of a tank and components and things of that nature. So yeah, that sludge um, just like really binds to the side of tanks. Yeah, it really seems well. like it. Yeah, and like I say, over time too, it just seems like uh, the harder that that bond that bond gets. Um, so a lot, I mean, like one of the things that we've recommended here, uh, like specifically for like V-Apply HD systems, is like an RV antifreeze, you know, something like that to clean out, thoroughly rinse out the system. But again, you can't you can't over clean a liquid system. So I don't, what, what about you guys? Is there anything I'm, I'm missing there or best practices from liquid systems? I don't have any. No, I think you're, you're good. Uh, I just okay. wanted you to talk on it because it's one of the things that we often get. And that's one of, to me, that's one of the hardest things I've seen struggle guys to get fully accomplished because it's easy to let it sit for you get busy with side dressing and you still got the planter sitting because you might have to replant something. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I know from personal experience how long a planter can sit with fertilizer inside of it before. Yeah. So, um, uh, not well, not only here, also at my home farm. So, so tidy up the list here. So first things first, Hans had jot down your notes. Yep. Get some kind of a memory record. Uh, number two, clean out your seed, clean out your products out of your planter. Number three, wash it, clean it, blow it off, get the get the dust uh, cleaned off as much as possible. Uh, number four, winterize it, get the, get the fertilizer systems tidied up and prepared to freeze. And last would be grease and lubricate. Cylinder rods, everywhere else to keep it, coach your system so it doesn't rust. So that'd be the approach we'd take. Yeah, I'll add to what you had said, too. I like the idea of keeping a list, especially this year. 
I, I don't know what the supply chain is going to look like in six months to nine months, but what it feels like to me is that this is not a conversation that's going away in the next month or two. So that, to me, makes that list even more important this year to be diligent and proactive on if I know there are components that need to be replaced, this may not be a winter project. This may not be something I'm waiting till J- December or January to order those parts. At least the, the order back into the at least the ordering processes. Yeah. Right, right. This is a good year to do your due diligence, start to get your hands on those parts now to make sure that you have them when it's time to service the planner come the winter months. Not to be alarmist or anything. It's just being proactive. It's proactive. Got to generate not, your list instead yep. of sitting on the list. Go if you know what it is, if you know the list is already there, go ahead and get them on hand. Like yeah. it's not going to hurt anything to have them on hand. Just ensures that. And we, we have to realize that we are asking guys in the midst of uh, side dressing and spraying and everything yeah. else when life is going crazy around them to take notes on a planner setup. So, but we do recognize it's busy. Speaking of busy, so we came out of our busy time, and this is our first go-round back in, and we welcome all of our listeners back in. I'm super excited to start having those conversations, and we're going to dive into a more normal or or consistent rhythm of shows here again now that we're out of our peak season. Don't have all of the episode plans. I'm sure we'll have guys like Jason Webster back on, and we'll get some other uh, product information from across our team. Um, we were definitely open please send us an email at smartereveryseason at precisionplanning.com. We would be glad to hear show ideas, any questions you have, something you want this team to go out, find the answer to, bring it back and share it. That's kind of where our passion is. So as you get those ideas, please share them in. Um, Let us know how we can keep going. Tyler, Hans, Nolan? Yeah, I'd say that uh, we're excited to be definitely back. We'll have some things hopefully planned here that you guys can listen to. Uh, We're also excited to know that farm shows and in-person things are back in, so hopefully we'll be able to travel around with our show a little bit there, and you might see us out and about. Some things that we're looking forward to, again, with uh, Jason Webster and PTI coming around. We definitely would love to see you out there, too. We hope to make possibly a show out there we've talked about, so a lot of good, exciting things that we're planning on doing for this next season's going around through summer and into winter. Nolan, just listening to you talk, I think one of the exciting things you mentioned was farm shows and getting to see some of these guys. Like That's yeah. been something that's been very difficult to think through the last 18 months. Is like, we haven't seen these guys. We haven't yeah. seen you. We've, we've missed seeing you guys and talking to you guys at farm shows and events and stuff, so I'm excited to, to actually see you face-to-face rather than talking through, through a microphone at you guys. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. I talked to Jake Bruni the other day. Of course, Jake's been on the podcast yeah, before, and yeah. he was wondering if we had any episodes planned. No. <laughs> so I know that, uh, oh, I hope, I hope that represents our, our kind of listener network that folks are excited to hear from us again. So, All right, with that, we appreciate your time as always. Please join us back here as we continue to get a little smarter every season.